Hello, dear listeners. I welcome you to the third episode of uh, my wonderful new podcast, Organic Life, with Alisa Avocado. And today's topic is going to be basically my organic parenting method I've developed uh, in the last recent years and um, which I'm trying to stick to a certain type of philosophy and uh, I'm going to be talking about this today. So um, this topic is brought to us by my amazing wonderful friend Farah who is immigrating today to Canada so I would like to send her and her husband Shadi the best wishes starting their new life in a faraway place May they be treated with kindness and compassion throughout their entire journey and be welcomed by the Canadian people um, with open arms. Farah is a woman's rights fighter, a feminist and a gender expert, among many other things, such an uh, artist and a wonderful cook of the most delicious Lebanese, <sighs> beautiful foods, she cooked for us so many times and i will hope that uh, once she gets settled in canada uh, she can uh, maybe join a very interesting discussion for an arab feminist who grew up in lebanon and now lives in canada and can compare the realities i hope she's going to join us and um, she asked me Two days ago about a situation when uh, a couple of months ago we've been together uh, at the beach with my daughter and she, my daughter was one and a half years old she was all over the place running there running here eating dirt going into the water eating shells eating rocks and she asked me goodness how are you not like losing your shit completely over this how can you just sit here and let go and just let her do her stuff so she suggested this topic that I would lay this out in, in today's podcast. How am I basically uh, able to just let go? And what is the philosophy behind it? So that's a great topic. So I took this opportunity to lay out the, the philosophy I developed for my organic, organic parenting method. And uh, I really never had to verbalize it in a constructed way. Therefore, I'm happy to try to do it for you. Remember, this is all my personal views and opinions. So um, let's have a discussion after. I will dive straight in and tell you about the first priority of parenting for me. And then uh, I'll tell you how I developed it. So my first priority in parenting is to raise a functional human being who will know how to operate in this world in the best possible and effective way. And um, this is why I foster following features where I'm paying deliberate attention to. These features are independence, mutual respect, resilience, kindness, compassion and curiosity. Because I believe that developing these features from early on is providing the child with a fishing rod rather than with a fish. 
if you understand my metaphor. I want to give her the tools to live this life rather than giving her the fish and she is not going to know how to, how to fish herself. Of course, I love my daughter and of course I'm trying to protect her always. However, when I'm protecting her, I'm trying to ask myself whether I violate any of the other values I've put out for ourselves to grow and establish in her life. So in order to be completely fair, I need to tell you a couple of other things about my general philosophy and my plans about my family in order to put this a little bit into context and into perspective. So first of all, I need to say I'd like to have multiple children. So if I'm destined to do so, um, which means that I'm trying deliberately to save energy on the future children to come. I believe it's not fair to put my like entire energy into my first child and then be kind of um, stuck dry basically for my second, third or let's hope how many, I don't know how many is going to come. So this is one thing um, which is really like, honestly, if I'm talking about this, uh, many people are like, um, <laughs> taking their forehead up. Uh, it's a weird thing for them to hear. However, this is a very logical uh, kind of thought in my head. Um, on top of that, uh, I'm trying, I mean, although I'm planning to have a big family, I'm trying to align myself with the universe and I'm trying to find time into investing into my mental, physical and spiritual health in order to achieve my highest potential and to do all these things which I want to do with an open heart and a smile on my face. So there's just so much attention, of course, every day. And you have so much time, as you know. Everybody's very busy, especially when they're parents. So be it raising my daughter or household or work and self-growth, farming, growing, plants, being respectful and helpful to my environment and the, to the community and to our planet. You got to pick your battles and know what tasks have higher priorities for you than others. Because if you do too long things which don't represent you, you will become resentful and depressed and lose connection to yourself and if you put yourself always on the back always on the back then you won't won't be able to draw enough energy for your complicated life um, so you're not doing yourself a favor in uh, putting your own needs last another um, value I live by is or principle I don't know is that most of the times in, in life I feel less is more so I always try to propose the minimum value proposition for every project or task or um, what I am trying to achieve and if it's not sufficient then I invest more however I don't find it an effective way of managing my resources and giving everything from the start and then being disappointed that it's not enough or something different is required. 
Because investments make you committed to your past. And it's hard to see um, that you should maybe take a different turn when you are very invested and committed into your way because you already invested so much energy into this. So I'm trying to not invest too much, like sniff the situation, what I need to do and adjust along the way. This is my strategy pretty much in every aspect of life and I am driving with this uh, very well so far. So, yes, and uh, I also made the realization that I'm not going to be able to protect my daughter from all the things in the world anyways. I mean, so I prefer giving her the tools and experiences so she can protect herself. She needs to have those injuries and uh, she needs to learn her lesson. It's a natural way of development in order to understand what's the limitations of your body and your mind and uh, at this specific moment. Of course, I want to protect her from certain death and broken bones. However, just if you, if you have a two-year-old, you understand that you really can't, can't protect her from injuries at all. So I'm just accepting them and hope that she's going to go through them and, and learn her lessons. And I see also that she learns her lessons. I really see that she slips on uh, wet tiles and after that she's uh, walking carefully on wet tiles. I very, very see clearly that she's learning her lesson. So I would like to talk about a couple of key stories um, which basically stirred me into this organic parenting direction because um, I find them very impactful in my life. So I would like to share them or at least like the first story. And um, I, I had the honor to spend my entire pregnancy in Dahab. And I'm telling you the story because um, I'm finding it very important to mention that um, every, in every decision you're making, you have this interval of the acceptable, where on the one side you have one part, one extreme of a perspective, and on the other side you have the other extreme of the perspective. And usually you're trying to position yourself somewhere in the middle. So, um, especially when something new is happening to you, like pregnancy or motherhood, it's very important to draw this, um, to, to listen to stories from other mothers and to make this, this interval of the acceptable, in my opinion, as wide as possible. Because uh, the more narrow you, ho you keep it to yourself, if you're living in a very close community with very similar, similar values, then you are not really aware of all your options since you've never heard of anybody doing them. So uh, um, why I'm telling you the story is because I arrived in Dahab or I was in Dahab when I was four months pregnant and I went to pregnancy yoga And I was planning to have our baby in Cairo, in, in a hospital, same way how I saw it all my life in the movies. I've never, I, the only way I saw um, ladies not having their baby in a hospital is when they didn't make it. 
to the hospital. Like the story was deliberately about the fact that they were driving in a car and imagine she didn't even make it to the hospital and imagine the savageness of having uh, the baby in, in the back of the car. So this is what I grew up with. This is the notion I grew up with. So when I arrived at this pregnancy yoga, I met two ladies who were 38 and 42 years old. And I'm saying very clearly from when I am, from where I'm coming from, this is considered already by default a risk, risky pregnancy. Um, and they were both in their eighth month of pregnancy. And uh, of course I was very interested what is their plan, where they're going to have their babies. And both of them told me straight up they're going to have it at home with the local uh, doula, who's type of a midwife, I guess. And, uh, and I was like, I was shocked because this, this interval of the acceptable completely shifted to me. Like, oh my God, this is an option. Like, I, I wouldn't even consider this as an option. So yes, the seed was planted. And uh, the more time passed, the more I was convinced that this was the right thing to do. And I admit that the lack of trust into the local Egyptian healthcare forced me into needing to rely on my inner goddess. Respectively, I'm extremely grateful for these realizations because I feel something was giving back to me, which was taken away a long time ago. And that, that, I cer that this certainty that I can do this and that it's within me, it's uh, very empowering. It's um, like a very, like, a very special process, especially since in the very beginning of my pregnancy, I went to the to my OB and uh, I was talking to her, and I don't even remember why because this was really not on my mind back then. But I told her about, or I asked her about home birth, and she said that. In her opinion, 90% of women, women can have a perfectly healthy baby in an open field. And 10% can't. So, and for some reason, she, this was enough reason for her to bring 100% of the women to the hospital. So, Honestly, it was not quite clear to me also when, when she said that. Like for her, it was very obvious that if there's a 10% chance, it means that 100% of the women should have their babies in, in, um, in the hospital. Since where like there are some kind of like transition methods like birth houses and stuff, but it's not a very common method. Like, so I really asked myself, why are we bringing 100% of the women to hospitals if only 10% of the women kind of really need those hospitals. So I, I oppose the strong medicalization of the birthing process. And um, I feel we kind of, we women gave away the ownership of our pregnancy and of our body and the decisions which are connected to it, we handed it over to the doctors. And I'm saying the doctors in, in um, it's like, I remember when I was uh, pregnant, it's always, what did the doctors say? As if it's like an entity, as if it's like some supernatural power 
who knows uh, everything. This we are like already like worshiping the doctors as our new religion, basically. Like science became the new religion. So I ha- I heard countless stories of really nasty violations and um, women were violated and it's kind of only interesting what's happening to the baby the dignity of the woman is not in my opinion respected enough in uh, most of those stories of women who are having uh, children in hospitals and and then they're being sent off without uh, answers and without closure and without really an explanation of, uh, without compassion, without empathy of what has happened to them. And uh, also they're not really often being even included in the decisions of uh, what's being done to them. They're just being basically f- put into effect. Okay, we need to do this. Uh, this must be done. Um, and let's, put it to perspective because hospitals run on a capitalist value system and um, so we need to take into consideration that the hospitals are businesses and uh, we are clients so there's going to be processes which, which are not necessarily in the best interest of the women so was I afraid Yes, of course I was. The birth, because it's scary. And I try to summon all the female power I could recruit and believe in myself and that I can do that. And that that I'm not different than all those millions of women who did it before me and all those thousands and millions of years before me. So I just believed in in myself and I decided that this is what I want to do and I was pregnant for 10 months um, I overcarried here for three three weeks I wrote a blog post about uh, this topic so I can um, add it into this episode's description if you're interested uh, about also the medical system and about my experience of how they wanted to cut me open and that it was hard to withstand However, um, I need to tell you now that I delivered her in 15 hours with the help of my amazing doula and my wonderful husband who has been on my side all this time supporting every of my decisions. And it ended up being the best decision ever. I'm not sure it was the best decision for him because I feel he had a bit more post-traumatic uh, he like um, he was a bit traumatized after that. I feel uh, because it was lots of changes. We I got pregnant very fast and um, lots of changes and then lots of pressure. However, I would do it again with him every day, and uh, it empowered our relationship. It empowered me, and it empowered us to keep going with the things the way we want and listening to ourselves instead of listening to the doctors who wrote those recommendations, neither knowing me nor my baby.
So now I had my baby and I needed to decide based on which values I'm going to raise her together with my husband, of course. Um, and I read exactly two books <laughs> about uh, babies and raising children. One was uh, The Secrets of the Baby Whisperer by Melinda Blau and Tracy Hogg. I recommend it very much. It was recommended to me by my dear friend. And the baby is like according to uh, um, according to this book, which kind of like burned in my head, is that the baby is supposed to be integrated into your life, and not your life should be integrated into the baby's life. Like in other words, your baby needs to become part of your family, and not your family needs to like be swirling around the baby. So this is one very important value which uh, felt really right for me and um, and I saw that there's just so much panic around having a child and that it's gonna be very hard and that birth is always so awful. It must be awful, it cannot be good. We are connecting in my opinion, very negative emotions with the birth, pregnancy, the early days of having a baby, sleepless nights. It's like, it has a very bad reputation, like bad branding, you could say in marketing uh, language. And um, it's sad that it's the case because it's not, it's not necessarily like this. Firstly, pregnancy can be wonderful, and uh, the birth can also be wonderful and also the first couple of months um, with your baby can also be wonderful and it's uh, they are wonderful actually everything uh, can be wonderful and has very bad reputation and the other thing which she put a very very big um, uh, stress on was that you should always treat your baby with respect and a type of respect you would expect towards yourselves. So in terms of communication mainly, mainly like um, it's for some reason she's saying that it's not very obvious to us because they look that they, they comp don't comprehend much, that they don't understand much or that the communication from our side doesn't go through so much, but it does and we should foster a respectful approach from the very first day. Um, these are the two main takeaways I took from that book. And the other book I read was Expecting Better. I'm not saying that it's a wonderful book. I'm just saying that these are the two books that I read, which were the base of my thought process later on. It's called Expecting Better, Why the Conventional Pregnancy Wisdom is Wrong. So this book um, is talking about the fact that she's an economist and she debunks all the research which has been done on pregnancy and raises the point that currently the pregnancy recommendations are overprotective and limiting pregnant and breastfeeding women in many unnecessary ways. Why am I mentioning this? I'm mentioning this because um, I'm leaving the breadcrumbs for you. 
um, that I started mistrusting the recommendation of science towards pregnancy and birth from my experience in the pregnancy uh, as well as research I have read and that certain upfront like recommendations I just simply do not support and I cannot support and um, therefore um, this is how it started for me for you to follow that I because like if you talk to me I guess face to face you would think goodness like where is she coming from why is she just trusting for science so much and medicine and um, so I'm trying to show you where it happened um, so I had to make a decision what is my job here what does it mean to be a mom what is expected from me besides loving and protecting this being because I felt that this is not enough so in the beginning I understood that I received a soul for safekeeping and it's my job to make sure that this soul will achieve the best possible experience on this earth by making her an independent curious being who acts based on her mutual respect kindness and compassion um, I didn't even how to say I don't know whether I don't know whether this happens for people, but kind of like assumed ownership of her. I basically feel I'm babysitting my daughter's soul and trying to to make sure that she can succeed in this world. And I must respect my child from day one, like an adult. And I treat her like that. And I speak to her also like that. I kind of sometimes think I speak to her too much like an adult, like in the way that I'm not fun enough for her. Um, in my opinion, she's not too small or too dumb or to understand anything or feel anything really. Like I'm getting pretty, how to say, like worked up when I hear that circumcision, we should do circumcision when they're so small because it doesn't hurt. I don't think it doesn't hurt we are just doing it because it's whatever but it hurts very much i'm sure and they feel this pain and or piercing ears it's not an argument that it doesn't hurt i'm sure it hurts and i feel it's almost like a invasion into their bodies without asking them without making let make let them make the decisions for their bodies that we decide for them whether they should be circumcised or whether their ears are pierced um we don't really know we have no idea what they understand and what they don't and what they feel and what they don't we have no idea there is no way for us to know and um, there's a bias of having the feeling that they don't comprehend uh, until they start to speak. But I doubt that because I saw it. I saw it from my own experience that they comprehend very much, much earlier. Speech is just very difficult to learn and it takes so long. But I saw that she comprehends very clearly and understands me very clearly. Uh, much, much, much earlier before she started talking. So based on the research I'm following, it, it's that 
80% of the brain is formed in the first three years of their lives. So this means for me that the experiences they have in the first three years very much shape their future being and that it needs to be taken into account and we cannot rely on the fact that they're not just not going to remember. I think that not, not remembering is a different, different category of things. I think that all those experiences they have while they are small are going straight into the subconscious. There is no, no uh, barrier of the conscious mind when memory starts to evolve. So it goes straight into the subconscious. Uh, all those traumas and all those uh, attacks and angry, angry energies and all the shit which is happening in those three years is very much, I'm, I think, saved in the hardware of our children. So I see her just not quite there yet in her development and in order to do certain things she's just limited by the pace of how fast her body and brain grows but her spirit and her soul is intact and she notices everything and she realizes everything and she saves everything so this is how i'm trying to address her um, that she just has due to our human existence limitations which are limited as her body grows and her understanding of the world but her spirit is there from day one and I have to nurture it and I have to address it uh, in every possible way and in the most most respectful way I can so uh, I can tell you a funny story I mean it's not funny but I just have to tell you the story in this context of uh, my mother's friend who had a very late child probably in her late 30s or early 40s I don't remember so much he's 27 years old today he still lives with his parents in Germany and his father is making sandwiches for him in, in white um, gloves every day and uh, since day one he's since he's very small he's showering after every time he's pooing and this is like a typical um, how to say extreme uh, extreme situation for me of like overprotectiveness and kind of selfish serving of your own interests as parents without having the well-being of your child in mind and uh, there was the story where which my mom told me that he had a girlfriend a couple of years ago his first and only girlfriend uh, the parents ever met and the mom didn't like the girlfriend so much my mom's friend and uh, she just wanted to get rid of her so she paid her money to just get lost out of his life and she did and she never appeared again and since then he never had a girlfriend again and he's not interested in girls anymore so much he says that they're all stupid whatever so 
highly unrespectful, highly unrespectful interfering interference in his life, which um, makes him simply dysfunctional. I mean, they're in the mid-60s. Um, I don't know. I wish them well, of course, but they're going to leave him behind, dysfunctional, living with his parents for his entire life, incapable of having relationships and social interactions, and um, not quite sure for what. So this is, in my opinion, like a very typical case of when you kind of lose sense of what your mission is here like that your mission is to not only because i do think they love and protect him and that they have the best intentions in doing so however um they are having no priority in making him a functional being who can have a fulfilled life um with the basic things filled with relationships and interactions and experiences. So it's a bit of a sad story. However, I wanted to mention it at this point. I didn't come up with everything by myself so I studied lots of educational approaches and I just took certain elements which were resonating with me and made my own method basically the two main uh, um, approaches which I was looking at were Montessori and Waldorf approach where I drew a lot of uh, ideas from at the base of my approach I Put a, put a thing which is a part of a Montessori approach is that I see myself as a passive observer of my child and I rather, rather than an active player in their development, meaning I'm letting them do as much as possible without interfering. Uh, only if they ask for help or they're in danger, like in serious danger. So... Um, they ba- it means basically that I let them grow by themselves and let them develop by themselves and I'm just a consulter on, on the side. If they need me, I'm there and I'm, I need to be there just for them to be even able to grow in a way which is uh, optimal for them. But I'm trying to interfere as least as possible. And uh, this ties back to the notion of that I see myself as a safekeeper of her soul uh, rather than, I don't know, an active mom who needs to do active things or stuff like that. I basically see her as a babysitter of her soul. So I put a big emphasis on independence from very early on. I fostered independence from infancy by only, for example, taking her on my hands, on my arms, on my lap, only when she was asking to. I tried to be there for her when she needed me, but 
all the other times I didn't want her to be attached to me in an unnecessary strong way and I don't find that it's my duty to give her my full attention at all times she needs to learn that there are other things her parents do and we need to do and she needs to understand that she's not always the center of attention and that she cannot always have what she wants i try to enable her by teaching her how to eat how to wash her hands how to go to the toilet how to clean herself how to clean um how to take responsibility for her actions it doesn't mean that she can do all of these things of course but she's already on the right track and i see that when the moment she's ready to do those things the moment like her body is allowing her to do those things she already knows how to do them because i already taught her or tried to taught her in the past so she needs to be a responsible human being who learns how to clean how to cook and the basic needs of including communicating about the things she wants uh whenever she will be able to communicate she already can so i let her interact with the world i i let her interact with nature i let her eat mud she's she, she drink seawater eat dirt eat sand she's made out of mud and water so i do believe and i've read quite some research uh, about it that um eating dirt basically helps us to stay healthy and uh, i have uh, also another article i can share with you in the uh, episode description about picking your battles with uh, with your toddler where i found quite some research which is basically making your life easier and you understand that actually this is even better to just let go there are two things which i think are actually doing a better job than me in developing her one is contact with other kids as much as possible from as early as possible like i took her on playdates since since she was one month old and i don't mean that i want to send her to the nursery as early as possible however i took her to playdates very early on and she went to the nursery since she's one year and three months since she starts walking basically i think that's a good time for kids to go to nursery and have their own life and have their own um reality um clo- be, like around like have their own thing basically the second thing is nature and exploring the world teaches her wisdom which i won't be able to convey at all so taking kids into the nature taking kids to the forest to the beach to to the park even is uh just a blessing so uh the last topic before finish is uh the role of the father and family and community so i'm a big believer in co-parenting and many might wonder how it works with an egyptian father who didn't really grow up with these same role model values co-parenting is not even so common in, in the western world so um the roles he grew up with are very traditionally allocated to say the least 
it required some explaining to what co-parenting really means because he really wanted it but he just didn't really know what it meant but i think we really got to an amazing place and i'm very grateful for that that he's even willing and interested to be to have such an influential role in her life and see her every day and how important it is for him. It's, uh, it's wonderful to see because I think uh, the more people raise my child with the most loving intentions, the better. I think we're originally tribal people and our children grew up usually in a big community of other kids and members of the family and community. So um, I don't think that that's our natural habitat of a child sitting for years with their mom at home like I did. My mom told me that I had barely any contact to other children until I was three. And I totally feel um, a certain type of social awkwardness in myself because of that. I'm very clearly, I'm very clear and, and sure that that's because of that. And I'm thinking when I'm thinking about what it what like how to say like what was the original way of doing things. It's when I'm seeing African women uh, going. I heard the story the other day in a TED talk. Uh, African women going to the well together and their babies, and then the one one of them is uh, getting water from the well. So she passed her she was nursing her baby and then she passed her baby to the next lady and then this lady started nursing her baby and then this lady's goat ran off and then this baby this lady had to um, pass the baby on again and the third lady started nursing her baby so this is how I see how we were I think this is where we came from I also heard that from Ahmed's, um, my husband's family, that he has 40 cousins from his father's side, and that it was very common to nurse other people's babies, um, other, I mean, your relatives' babies, and that it has actually a certain type of meaning in the Quran. Um, that these, although you can marry your cousins, but you cannot marry your cousins who've been nursed by your your mother. That's a very interesting detail. I really love that this is being pointed out. So yeah, I'm striving for a 50-50 approach uh, in my um, relationship very clearly. While the babies are small, it doesn't seem realistic. However, uh, still, there are so many things daddies can do in order to bond with the kids. It's always about bonding. If there's no bonding, then there is no relationship which can be built. Um, so giving showers, talking with the little ones on the walk, taking the little ones on the walks, training their muscles, training their physique, feeding them or just hanging out with them and play. I can't even begin to explain how important it is for me to have a break after many hours of being in charge. And of course... The influence is being shifted. There is no doubt. Of course, you as a mother have more influence if you spend more time. And then you can, how to say, push your agenda more. But um, I don't think that's a advantage. I think uh, 
the kid benefits the most of having access or equal access to both parents if that's possible to be implemented in any way if your life situation allows that because I understand that often the father goes to work and um, this is why there's a natural how to say natural tendency that the mom spends much more time especially in the beginning um, so I find it's a win-win-win situation for all participants. The father is involved as a co-parent. Daddy wins because he has an amazing relationship to his kid based on real bonding experiences. Kid wins because they have their daddy. And mommy wins because she can breathe for a bit and has a more balanced life. So I do agree that I think originally the mommies are not supposed to be by themselves for their job, isolated and alone. Um, how my mom was totally alone the whole day for three years. This is not a natural organic experience in no way. I think the organic real experience is that you're living in a community and you're living in a community of women and grandmothers and everybody's nursing your baby if you have a problem or you need to do something. So you do have time for yourself or you do have time for chores. So yeah, let's get to the conclusion. Uh, so organic parenting means for me to interfere in the process as least as possible, to let them play as much as possible in nature with all the kids and by themselves. And uh, this is the best way to encourage healthy curiosity, creativity, and independence, in my opinion. Uh, I want to make sure they learn all the necessary responsibilities from very early on. And you'll be surprised um, because they do uh, if you teach them on um, making them responsible and trustworthy keeping the focus on making them resilient and respectful human beings by demonstrating the same values. In this way, they don't need to drive yourself crazy about the urge of needing to protect them from anything. Because when you are whole and full without your approach, then you don't need to run after them. And you will trust them that they will come back. And you, you will know that you can trust them with certain things because they have already demonstrated responsibility, even if they're very small. So I can go on for hours about this topic. Uh, however, we need to conclude this episode. And I, I um, would love to hear your thoughts about this approach and where you agree, disagree. I'd love to hear your comments. And uh, I hope Farah was able to answer some of your questions here. I hope you enjoyed this episode i enjoyed it very much making it for you and have a lovely day and hope to hear from you soon bye bye